And the assumption was that what an individual was doing today is probably what they were good at doing and ultimately what they enjoyed doing. Hi, I'm Sylvia Milverton, CEO of Lynx Educate. This is Talent is Everywhere. We're here to talk about how to keep talent and how to develop talent in order to build a strong business. We'll interview leaders to hear their best experiences of how they invested in people. Hi, Susan. Very nice to have you on our podcast. Welcome. You've had a nice long career uh, working in senior HR roles at a lot of big companies like Deloitte and IBM, and then also some smaller companies like Ocean Technologies and Ubiquity. Um, so very happy to get you know all this different experience. What I wanted to talk about today was some of the work you've been doing at Ubiquity around business transformation and how this directly relates to your people role and how it's related also to talent development. So maybe you can start out by telling us about this business transformation, what triggered it, and what is the scope? Sure. So quickly, uh, just some background on Ubiquity, the company where, as you say, I'm the chief people officer currently. We are the world's leader in media investment analysis. So what that means is that we help the world's largest brands to improve their media investment decisions. We're listed on the London Stock Exchange and we have about 600 people around the world in more than 15 countries. So when I arrived in 2022, the company was planning for large scale business transformation. And the drivers for change for this transformation were coming from our largest global clients who wanted a globally consistent approach to data analysis. And this was in sharp contrast to how we were operating at the time, which was more along the lines of what our chief executive called an artisanal approach, where each country and sometimes each individual employee tended to do the data analysis in their own way. So we had many different varieties of analysis, but we didn't have one globally consistent approach. And that in turn was inhibiting scalability of the business, continued growth, and also was impacting our ability to tap emerging technologies like automation and AI. And what, um, in terms of the priorities of, of that, what was the first you know thing you had to tackle in terms of thinking of like the people implement people implication of implementing this transformation? Well, I think the first thing was um, making this massive change less frightening for the C-suite. So for my fellow members of the executive leadership team. And to give you a sense of the degree of fear that was there when I arrived, um, this project had the internal project name, Project Mullen. And I didn't recognize that name straight away, but it turns out that Mullen was uh, Rodney Mullen. And some of your listeners will know that he is a very famous American skateboarder. And he wrote a book called How to Skateboard and Not Kill Yourself. <laughs> so I think many of my peers on the leadership team really thought that this was a do or die project, very risky and potentially likely to, to not work. 
So I think the very first thing that I had to do was to build up the confidence of my peers to say, yes, this is a big project. Yes, it is a big transformation and we can do it. And here's how. And was the fear around that the employees um, didn't have the specific skills or more around just change management of that people are going to need to work differently? I know that ubiquity grew a lot by acquisition. So that could be that you had a scenario of so many talented people, but just a lot of different business models. Yeah. So it was a bit of all of that to, 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 uh, to be fair, because we did some analysis and we found out that about 85% of our media investment analyst roles were hybrid roles where everybody did a bit of everything, 85%. And to translate that in terms of our population, that was 65% of our total employee base. So imagine taking 65% of your employees and basically slotting them into new roles um, new focus, new line managers, and trying to do all of that in a relatively short period of time. We, we allowed ourselves six months, but even that felt very quick. And this is a business that, as you said, had recently made acquisitions and historically had not really seen a lot of change. So it was not a change-ready business. It was more a change-resistant business and therefore, this transformation felt enormous, felt frightening, and as I said, quite quite risky. Interesting. And when you talk about like moving from the hybrid model, so did that mean uh, that people really had to start doing different kind of work or part of the work that would have been maybe 20% of their job became kind of 80% of their job? And then maybe the second part of that question is, and so how did you like literally do it? Did you have a big map to say like, okay, these hundred people need this data analysis skills and we're enrolling them in this course? Like some detail on that would be interesting. Yeah. So we did just that. We took every single employee and we looked at the role they were doing at the time and the core skills involved in that role. And then we tried to map them to a, a role in the new operating model that closely aligned with what they were doing today. And the assumption was that what an individual was doing today is probably what they were good at doing and ultimately what they enjoyed doing. So we really wanted to make it as easy as possible for people and capitalize on, on people's strengths. So we mapped every single person. It was a very time-consuming process and one that obviously was potentially open to human error, but we, we did several cuts of the data and some internal validation. So I think most of that worked out very well. But yes, ultimately, we ended up mapping every single person to a, a specialism role. And we had five global functions, global specialism. So everybody was slotted into one of those five specialisms. And what it meant was that rather than just working with a local team, they would then be part of a global team <clears throat> working across borders, across time zones, and uh, in many cases, reporting into a new line manager as well, who often was not even in their country. So it was fraught with a lot of change. Um, if 
uh, for people like me who love change, it was super exciting. But of course, for people who were more change resistant or change shy, it it clearly was was a lot of change at once. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, that's amazing. And just to get back to your skills mapping, because we talk a lot about skills. There's obviously a lot of tools in the market to do that. Like, how much do you think a company needs to really step back and invest in like a very big tool to do these kind of things? Or how much of it could be like, listen, I have a team, I have an Excel, these are the 10, 20 skills, and someone can kind of manually do it. Like, how do you feel about that? Well, I think with hindsight, uh, we would have been better served to have some technology (laughs) to help us out. It was quite a mammoth task to do on Excel. And uh, that that was incredibly time consuming. So I think we we probably, you know, if we were to do it again, would definitely tap some of the great emerging technology that's out there to help with that skills mapping. But we did it very manually. And I think the reason we could do it manually is we limited ourselves to five skill clusters. We didn't sort of map everybody's skills in everything, but we we honed in on on five core skill sets. Yeah, that's super interesting because I often when I talk to companies, I find that there's a sense that that's like a blocker, like we can't move forward with the transformation plan. We can't move forward with our L&D until we've done this really big work. But I like your approach of being like, yeah, there was a way to do it really complete. But here, really, there were five core areas we needed to reorganize and we could do not quick and dirty because it's long, but you could get where you want. It was good enough for us. And I I feel sometimes with business transformation, um, you just have to get on with things and make do. We had limited uh, time, we had limited funding to invest in more sophisticated tools than than what we used. And I think it was certainly it was certainly good enough. So um, I would encourage anybody who's embarking on something like this to not wait until you have the perfect tool, just get on with it and simplify. So yeah, we, we didn't look at many skills, we we cored it down to five core skill sets and and that seemed to work for us. Yeah, I love I love that advice. Um and so then how did you manage, you know, the the change management part in terms of having a different manager reporting across a different country? Like did you sign people up for, you know, courses? Did you have them read books? Did you do in person meetings? Like just interested in practical terms, like how do you do that? Yeah. So um, it was a huge amount of change for people, and we did actually quite a few things to help de-risk it. Um, So one of the first things we did was just uh, commit to open and transparent communications. So we had regular town hall meetings. We set up an online uh, anonymous Ask Me Anything Q&A portal where people could anonymously ask questions and get answers to those questions. And we made some bold promises to our employees. And those promises were, um, this is not, this, this transformation is not about job cuts. So nobody will lose their job as part of this transformation. That's not what, why we're doing it. Secondly, Nobody will be forced to relocate or move to another office 
Um, you stay right where you are. Your role stays in the same location it's always been. And also will not be reducing anybody's salary. So even though your role is changing, your, your compensation will remain untouched. And I think that really helped remove a lot of the fear because inevitably people hear transformation and they think job cuts and, you know, it's a, it's a slippery slope. So uh, we wanted to help ensure that people focused on the positives of these changes and not worrying about whether their job was safe. Uh, but then beyond that, um, as mentioned, it was clear that we would need a lot of uh, skill development so we made an unprecedented investment in skill development across the business. And I really feel that that was uh, very critical to success. So we invested in this, these specialism skill sets um, for people as they started to specialize in their roles. We helped equip our leaders for leading change and managing change. So we actually invested in a number of workshops for leaders. And we also invested in change workshops for all of our colleagues as well to help them be comfortable with change and navigate change rather than just see change as something that was, uh, was pretty unpleasant. And then last but not least, we as teams were becoming more global and people were working with colleagues in many countries, not just their own country. We had to invest in English language training as well to help people be more confident in their written English, their spoken English. And uh, that's also paid huge dividends to us to help ensure this new operating model is really going smoothly. Yeah, that's interesting. And then in terms of training, how do you feel about, you know, prescriptive versus letting employees decide? Like on the one hand, you know, if you're doing this kind of transformation, you have to say, listen, if you're going to be in this like specific specialism, you need to have these skills. But if you know, sort of force someone to do a training or a course, they're not keen on, it ends up maybe not being such a good investment. How do you think about that? I do feel that um, learning is best done when people are open to learning, right? And therefore, forcing people to do something learning-wise never is, is a good idea. And what we did with all of these uh, learning solutions was made them optional. We strongly encourage people to attend, for example, the change workshops, Navigating Change, and we made a strong case for why we thought it was a good idea for everybody. But, you know, if people thought, I'm comfortable with this, I don't need that, that was fine. We didn't we didn't force anybody. Likewise, with some of the uh, specialism-specific learning programs, we strongly encouraged. We made it easy for people to participate. We kept learning modules short um, and, and highly impactful but we, we didn't force. And I think the result of all that was word of mouth was very positive. And then more people started to, to join in. And it, it ultimately had a sort of momentum that perhaps we wouldn't have had had we insisted on everybody doing everything. You're right. And in terms of like the anonymous feedback and the transparency, you know, obviously you don't want to share things that are, are confidential, but you maybe in general, 
you know, what has been the employee feedback and what were maybe some of the worries or criticisms maybe that came through generally? I think initially there were a lot of fears and uh, people, well, probably the biggest single fear was that people thought, oh my gosh, you're putting me into this box and I'll never get out. (laughs) Um, You know, you're putting me into a specialism and well, maybe it is the best fit for me today. It may not be the best fit tomorrow. And I quite enjoyed having the hybrid role, doing a bit of everything. And now you're forcing me just to do one thing or one set of uh, activities. So I suppose that was the biggest single fear that people expressed. And to address that, and and I think it's a very legitimate fear, uh, to address that, we said, firstly, uh, this is not forever. Try it out, see what you think. And by the way, as new roles emerge in the business, We'll post them internally and you're very welcome to apply. We encourage internal mobility. So go and uh, try it out, see what you think. And if it's not for you, feel free to to move into another role as it becomes available. So we, we made that easy for people to embrace. But the other thing we did as well is we put together career paths because again, people they knew the old model. So they knew if you had a hybrid role, you knew they knew sort of where that led. But with this new model, they found it really hard to figure out what a career path might be. So we put together some very compelling career paths that showed these days, it's not just up, but it's over as well. So you don't just progress uh, vertically, but horizontally as well. And what it meant was people could see, oh, okay, I can get some experience in this specialism today. And maybe, you know, my next career move is to another specialism. And I broaden my skills rather than just focus narrowly on one specialism. And I think it gave people permission to imagine a more varied career, uh, but through a series of stops along the way in different specialisms versus just having this legacy generalist hybrid role. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because if you think all of us, like with transformation, the thing, it's the uncertainty and the unknown that makes it uh, that makes it difficult. Yeah, and then showing that there's certainty, it's just a different a different path. And the fact that you're able to build in things around career mobility, um, you know, and how to like it, you know, impact people's careers in that way as a benefit of the transformation sounds like a like a plus, like something you would have been doing anyway. And it was like a, a benefit of this. Yeah, it actually helped accelerate some of that and gave us a reason to promote, for example, internal mobility or promote career planning or career discussions even. So in a, in a funny sort of way, it enabled us to do something that would have wanted us to do anyway but it gave us a real impetus to do that. And how do you think about like the technology part in terms of like the technology transformation related to the people transformation, which to do first, and how did you manage it in this case? Well, the um, but you know I haven't really spoken a lot about the <coughs> technology transformation, but part of this business transformation and part of our new operating model has been a new core uh, platform. Uh, which is the core system that we use for uh, analyzing and evaluating uh, client data. And 
this new platform, again, provided us with sort of plug and play opportunities because rather than have each country develop its own systems and processes, we now have one global platform that's globally consistent, which fits our clients' requirements, but also makes it much easier for us to uh, develop talent and roles around the world because we have one global platform now. So, so that has been key to all this as well. And now that we have that platform in place, we can look to improved automate automation and now starting to introduce some generative AI as well. So it's really teed us up nicely for that. At the same time, uh, we use this transformation as um, an excuse uh, to bring in a core uh, uh, people platform, human capital platform for the business, which we had never had. So just like our business was being run on spreadsheets, the people function, the HR function was also being run on spreadsheets. So uh, we introduced a new core uh, HR platform at the same time. And one of the things that enabled us to offer was a real-time org chart, which was, again, a, a, a revelation to people. They could see instantly who was where because there was, I think, a bit of a, a concern that this whole transformation would pe mean that people just disappeared in the night. And this org chart shows them, no, here's that person and here's who they report to. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. And yeah, it's interesting how sometimes one thinks, I've seen these projects done different ways. One is you can't change too many things at once. So do the organization separately do the tech. But then I've also seen it where you make this massive change in the way you operate uh, you build, you know, you build the whole technology and then you have to sort of do it again. And you think, well, while I was in the middle of fixing it, I should have sort of fixed everything at the same time. And then we would be, you know, sort of done. And in terms of, it sounds like lots of things went really well and that it's been a success, but maybe if you think generally, like what would you have done differently if you could go back to the beginning and start again? Well, I think, uh, there was a lot of planning that was undertaken and, I'm also planning, but I do feel that some of the planning was a little bit of um, rearranging the deck chairs, and we probably could have moved a bit faster once we decided to go ahead with it. So um, I think we allowed some of the less experienced leaders to sort of drag their feet, and I'm not sure that really added any value. So I think probably one of the lessons learned is if you're going to do a change, plan for it and just get moving. Uh, we, we took a little bit too long, I would say. Um, but uh, otherwise, I think a lot of what we did, I would I would do again. I'd repeat again. And, and in fact, some of the things we did are based on very tried and tested change management practices as well. So so happily, I don't think there were many, many missteps, which is which is good. That's good. And if you think like this experience, obviously you've had roles at a lot of bigger companies and you've done these sorts of transformations many times. What are your sort of, I don't know, top two or three your recommendations of if you need to like change people's roles, change their career paths, really rethink an organization and keep people motivated? Like what are your kind of top two, three of like what to do and what not to do? Well, I think 
the first thing is just be honest, be open, be transparent. You know, it's nothing to hide. Here's what we're doing. Here's why. Um, you know, people are smart. They'll see through anything that you don't, you know, don't make clear, or they'll be suspicious, in which case, you know, that that doesn't turn out well. So I think that transparency and honesty is is super important. And sometimes that means you're having to say, well, we haven't really thought that through yet, or we're not quite ready with that. And just being honest where things aren't necessarily perfect, but where uh, you'll be you'll be focusing in the future. And then the second thing I would say is don't underestimate the importance of investing in skills. Any sort of change is probably going to require some new skills. And so it's not a time to economize uh, or ignore skill development. And I'm pleased that we did make a very big investment in skills, upskilling, reskilling, to help underpin this this transformation and that has paid huge dividends for us so i would i would certainly say that those two things are definitely something that should be on everybody's change list <laughs> transparency and skill development great yeah that's a great advice and then i guess just a a last question sort of back to the beginning obviously this started from like a ceo uh, initiative of saying, like, you know, we need to move from an artisanal approach to a more global approach. How much do you find in this job and maybe in other people jobs that you've had the importance of leadership in terms of setting the priorities? Um, you know, I guess the other way to ask the question is how much can, you know, people leaders achieve without that sort of buy-in of leadership? Yeah, I think it's very hard to do a massive business transformation unless not just the CEO, but the entire leadership team of the organization has to be up for it. And and that's why, you know, from the out, I mean, our CEO was um, very much behind this and a very vocal advocate for it. But I think some of the other members of the leadership team were more cautious. And that's where we really had to get them into a, a more comfortable place to to embrace this and to be um, clear leaders and advocates of of the change. So, I think the the people leadership, the HR leadership, has a, a huge part to play, not only in bringing people along, but also helping to encourage peers in the leadership team to embrace the change and be open and vocal advocates for the change as well. Well, that is great. Um, great advice and great thoughts. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I learned so much about HR and how to manage people, and it's been a pleasure. Do you have anything else to add on the outcomes of the program or anything else you'd like to share about the results of the transformation? Uh, maybe I could just, before we wrap up, just share a couple of the metrics of success of the transformation, because I think we always want to see, well, you know, you say it was successful, but how do we know? So just briefly, um, we saw upticks in uh, client satisfaction as measured through our net promoter score. We also saw improvements in employee engagement as measured through our um, employee survey. And best of all, we saw actually very little, very low, regrettable attrition of our colleagues. So where we were sort of prepared maybe for people heading to the door, um, very few people did. 
uh, which was which was great. And so we've st- since seen very low regrettable attrition, which uh, which continues to this day. And then, of course, some of the broader business outcomes, like being more uh, scalable business and uh, able to tap emerging technologies, has helped as well. So I think. On all the key fronts where we set out to achieve improvement, achieve improvements, we we did, which um, to me is the ultimate mark of of success of any of any business project. So that's all gone very well. Thank you for letting me share share the story with everybody. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much, Susan, for your contribution. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talent Is Everywhere. Make sure to subscribe if you like what you heard and give us a follow on LinkedIn to continue the conversation on all things career mobility and talent development. Is there a topic you'd love for us to cover in a future episode or a guest you'd recommend? Drop us an email at hello at linkseducate.com. And if you're looking for support on your talent development strategy, head over to linkseducate.com to learn more about our career mobility solution. That's L-Y-N-X educate.com. Mm-hmm.